Thank you for joining us. The Dacus Report is on the air to defend your religious freedom, your parental rights, and other civil liberties. And now, with the latest information, is your host, the president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Uh, On today's show, uh, we're going to talk about a lot that's going on around across the country in different states. Uh, impacting religious freedom, the rights of parents, help us do this and un- unravel the- these issues. Uh, we have with us here uh, none other than Emily Mimnaw, the attorney who heads up the PJI office out of Nevada. Uh, welcome, Emily. Hey, good morning, Brad. Oh, good morning. Uh, first, uh, let's start off reviewing what happened with some of these recent shootings, Emily. I understand, you know, there's a shooting in the at uh, the shopping center in New York. Uh, there's also the church shooting that took place. Uh, recently, and one of them is located not that far from where I live. Uh, so, um, what's um, what, what's going on, and do we see any censoring of of quote hate speech coming out out as a result of this? That's that's what the politicians have immediately used to uh, exploit. I would say these obvious obvious tragedies. We've had ten people killed in the Buffalo shooting, another three at least injured. It seems pretty clear that that individual was mentally ill, previously institutionalized for that condition, and appears to have been motiva- motivated by racism and anti-specific anti-Semitism as well. In California, there there were different issues at play, and it actually the, the the individual, the the shooter, was actually from Nevada, from my state. So these these are not necessarily incidents of people within the community. Um, perpetrating these incidents, but um, in, in that instance, you had uh, multiple people injured as well. One person killed. Um, that was, you know, an elderly retirement, peaceful community. So really, just shocking, shocking things. So of course, we've all been praying for all of the individuals and the communities impacted by by these events. And unfortunately, like you point out, Brad, what we're seeing the politicians do in some cases within less than two hours, one of the reports said was, you know, turning this into political fodder, using it for, you know, pro pro more gun control, even though the weapons were purchased illegally and, you know, trying to crack down on so-called hate speech, which, you know, it's one of those things where nobody wants to be for hate speech, kind of like if you recall the Equality Act. Nobody wants to oppose equality, but you, you really need to look under the cover and say, what, what are people actually talking about when they use these terms like, you know, an equality act or, or hate speech? And it's there where you see actually what you're seeing is politicians pushing their agenda and looking to censor and suppress views, often traditional conservative Christian views that, that they don't agree with. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I heard about on the news very clearly how you know, in Buffalo, this person was uh, motivated by racism, anti-Semitism. And it was it was tragic. With regard to the the shooting in, in Laguna uh, Laguna Beach area, you know there this was also tragic. But what I didn't hear much on the news is how that shooter had uh, been was motivated by pro-China uh, political and ethnic ideology. So I guess that wasn't as politically advantageous for the liberal media to talk about. Then, uh, as opposed to the other, and even then, I didn't hear much about anti-Semitism either. They tried to just coach it as a as a, a white racist supremacist. Um, so this is sort of disturbing that the media has been very selective in how it wants to to cage things for purposes of political exploits, and which is sort of what you were, uh, you know, saying as well. Now, last week uh, we were just talking about our free resource that PGI has, Emily, with regards to how uh, churches can. Uh, increase their protection, their safety, their security, 
Um, is this information still available? Where, where can they go to get it? It is still available, and I'm sorry that the resource seems so timely, but we were just talking about this. It is up. It is online. It is free. It's at pji.org. That's pji, Pacific Justice Institute.org. If you go to Churches for Churches, it's under resources. And like all of our resources, it is free. It was put together by our chief counsel, Kevin Snyder, who I know is going to be joining you in the second half of this program. So it is extremely thorough. And it talks about different ways churches can prepare themselves. And, and again, it, you know, we were just talking about this last week. Any church that didn't go ahead and download that, I, I really encourage them to do that because it, it is free. And it's, it is literally, in, unfortunately, can be a matter of life and death. And, you know, it walks through legal strategies. You need to know what you can do, what you can't do, and all the ways that you can prepare yourself in your community. You know, in Laguna Beach, the pastor himself actually threw a chair at the attacker. So, it, you know, you never know what is going to happen. And there are steps you can take to legally protect yourself well in advance. Yeah. And, and churches need to be responsible. I'm encouraging people to talk to their pastor, to their executive pastor, uh, find out what they're doing. Do they have people there? that have concealed weapons ready to protect a congregation from being slaughtered and, and massacred. These are really important things. Of course, there's other matters we talk about as well and, and that they can take uh, measures they can take for security, outside cameras, et cetera, uh, that uh, need, to, need to take place. So this is not the time for churches to just sort of be up in the clouds and just think, oh, everything's going to be fine. Um, you know, this, this community in Laguna Beach is a very conservative retirement community, a lot of churchgoers. You know, it's no place is, is safe necessarily. And we need to assume the worst, plan for the worst, hope and pray for the best. But um, I, I really hope people take advantage of that. Uh, it's, it's a resource right there. And by them taking advantage of that, downloading that from our website at pji.org, they can get that information and move on it. Uh, they can also sign up to get our Legal Insider newsletter, which is very valuable. Uh, we have over 90 cases in active litigation. Emily, as you know, and uh, people need to be aware of what's going on as we move forward. Now, I understand there's a, a real concern by many people regarding this uh, disinformation governance board. Uh, it's, it's sort of like the, the Truth Committee. Uh, it's something out of George Orwell's 1984. Uh, I mean, could you, you know, the reports are circulating about this new threat to free speech. Um, you know, what are we looking at here? Is this true that uh, we're looking at possibly the government censoring what's on Twitter? That, that is the latest story. So there's a video that is online and it, it is real. It's not, you know, some deep fake video or that type of thing. There is a video where the director of this new disinformation governance board is, is seen. And she's speaking before this board was created and announced. So this is from a year ago. But she is talking about this pilot program in Twitter that would allow users to, the way she describes it, to actively edit each other's tweets. And she compares it to Wikipedia, where you can go into a, you know, an online article and edit and correct and verify and amend you know, the, the content. The way she described it, and this is what caused so much alarm, was that the idea that something you posted on social media, you know, if I posted my personal religious views on Twitter, you know, somebody could edit my tweet, my social posts, you know, my speech, to make it more accurate. And of course that that was deeply horrifying. And that that's not really an accurate description of what was at play back in January of 2021. But I think it's important to stay, take a step back and ask, you know, just who, what, where, how, what's going on with this disinformation governance board? Where did it come from? And why are we only just now learning about, you know, this, you know, murky shadowy entity? Yeah. There's so much propaganda on the media already that people are, 
uh, subject to, I know just uh, recently, uh, foxnews.com. Uh, in a very dis- I was very disappointed to see this. They went and posted this big op-ed piece on why pro-lifers are dangerous and, and why reversing Roe versus Wade is going to be dangerous to society and humanity. And it was just all you know, laid out and all the arguments you know, only on one side. This is Fox, not CNN. And, and then I looked to the bottom to see where the comments are. And there was no place for people to comment at all. Uh, so Fox has been a very big disappointment to so many. People are going to One American News, uh, Newsmax. Of course, his channel is very reliable uh, because it's not subject to the, the, the filters, if you will, that are out there. Uh, but I think uh, this is a, a, a huge concern as we hear the, about this, this new uh, disinformation governance board. I mean, it sounds so much like something from the former Soviet Union, uh, George Orwell's 1984. It's, it's almost like they're, it's a spoof, uh, like a Saturday Night Live spoof, but it's not. It's real. What is this governance board actually going to do, Emily? Well, ironically, it's surprisingly difficult to find out information about what this information governance board does. The, its existence actually really only came to light on April 27 in what was actually a budget, a 2023 budget hearing by a subcommittee in Congress where Department of Homeland Security, this, this disinformation governance board sits under DHS, Department of Homeland Security. So the secretary of DHS, Mayorkas, you know, mentioned this, the existence of this board, and people said, wait, what? And it turns out this board had been created about two months ago. They'd been planning and working on it for about a year. Um, so it actually came into, came into existence, I guess, two years prior to, or two months prior to April, but we only learned about it in April. And there was obviously a lot of questions, a lot of concern. The claim is that they are not going to have any operational activities, but they are going to be gathering, quote, best practices and disseminating those best practices to all of the departments within DHS, within the Department of Homeland Security, already tasked with fighting disinformation. So it's kind of twofold. One, one, this committee already existed before we knew about it. And two, they're actually reinforcing these disinformation and arguably censorship activities that are already ongoing by the Department of Homeland Security. You know, and, and remember that this is the same group that told us that, you know, potentially mothers and parents um, and concerned citizens who go to school board meetings were, you know, the type of domestic terrorists that were the number one concern in America today. Okay, so if they're not intending to monitor individual speech, as they say, and, and monitor citizens, then why are there reports of them, uh, you know, encouraging uh, select users and to have the ability to edit others' social media posts, like on on Twitter? I, I just it just doesn't make sense. I mean, it's it is like uh, it is like the former Soviet Union, uh, where they're facilitating people to monitor each other, to to narc on each other, to report themselves, uh, uh, you know, people. Um, and I just can't see this governance board just sitting back and not acting on it. Um, this is, I think, something very, very serious. And I think they're now trying to backtrack. Uh, but I don't think uh, it's, it's going to work. I think the American people now have, are, uh, are totally outraged by this. And uh, the, key, the key issue is to what degree of harm can they use this, uh, for, especially for political purposes moving forward? That, that is a real concern. And I, I think it's worth... 
observing that it's not just his channel. It's not just you and me and conservative traditional Christians who are very, very concerned about this. I, I looked at a variety of sources. Politico called it disastrous, I believe. Uh, Wikipedia, which itself, again, is subject to the same editing process from all sides. Um, had similar, you know, comments that it was, again, in the article, it was overwhelmingly negative um, the response to the announcement or I guess the revealing of the existence of this board. And I, I really like this. And I, I wrote this down. Uh, the uh, director, one of the directors from the ACLU, the ACLU, um, said, quote, they announced something with a creepy name and provided no information about the scope or authorities of this board. They, have, they only have themselves to blame for this firestorm. And I think that really kind of hits the nail on the head. It's it's creepy name. It's very unclear what it is they're doing. The fact that they were in existence before anyone knew about it. And the question about so so what is it that they're doing? And so your question, Brad, about why why they're concerns about editing tweets and censorship and social media specific. Um, the answer to that is the director that they appointed is one Nina Yankowitz, who is just a godsend and a gift to online parodies and SNL if they were still funny. Uh, to the extent that she uh, loves to sing and do musical renditions of anything to do with disinformation, to the point that she has a video out there to to the tune of super fragilistic as Mary Poppins telling us about the dangers of disinformation, which has earned her the delightful nickname of Scary Poppins when it comes to censorship. But 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 the point is that you see all of this Orwellian, uh, you know, hard to believe machinations going on without sufficient, you know, explanation or context. Ironically, um, and, and so I suppose the only good news is that they have now, they being the board, the Disinformation Governance Board, has now been forced to promise to give Congress quarterly updates. Now, will the public be privy to these updates? Will they will they be accurate? Will they be you know, inadequate and after the fact, we don't know, but but it is concerning. It is definitely concerning and something that PJI and others are watching very, very carefully. Yeah, and we're watching it very, very carefully because we're major advocates for freedom and liberty. That's what we're about. And I know all of our offices all across the United States, uh, in 17 states, coast to coast, uh, have uh, their eyes wide open for the kind of tyranny that may be coming down uh, through this uh, uh, disinformation office. Uh, and this isn't the first time, Emily, is it, that we've heard of government advocating for or attempting widespread uh, censoring of, of speech, is it? No, we've seen PJI specifically in our cases, we're seeing increasingly, you know, government actors, government employers specifically, directly, and I would say brazenly reprimanding, firing, suspending individuals because of their constitutionally protected free speech, their free exercise. In Oregon, we had a teacher who was told that on the weekends, on his own time, he could not go out and preach. He could not spread the gospel within a certain jurisdiction, within a certain radius, because the school felt it was within their purview to say what he could and could not believe, think, speak, and preach on a weekend. Uh, likewise, here in Nevada, I had a teacher who was told he could not have a gospel quote included in the signature line of his email. But, you know, Gandhi quote would be fine, even if it was the same words. We see this time and, and time again. Right now in Iowa, we have an individual who was fired because of a Bible video that he put together about his interpretation of, you know, the book of Revelation. They didn't like it. You know, it was almost a decade old. They use that as a reason to fire him. You now, know, it, it, now, Emily, fire. I just want to stop on this one. So he produced this video on his own time. He, he works for the government. 
This is his own speech, his own time, his own Bible study. And they somehow got a hold of it. They found out about it. And they said, we, the state, do not agree with your beliefs. You are fired. I mean, it, that's, that's what we're talking about here. It's, it's that blatant, isn't it? We're, we, are, we are seeing that time and, and time again. And I wish it was limited. Watch, I don't wish it was limited to just this. I wish it didn't exist. But we're not only seeing this you know, on an individual specific basis in the employment context, we're also seeing attempts now to push this censorship and these radical views and these anti-Christian views. We're seeing attempts, you know, in California and elsewhere to push this actually into law and preemptively stop people, Christians, conservative Christians, from ever even being hired in the first place. That That's how far we're seeing this being taken. I know we had a case matter, uh, another case matter in Oregon, dealing with two teachers who were fired for what they put on the internet, they're on their own time, not in during work hours, not on camp, on school grounds, where they just express their own uh, philosophy and attitudes about how parents' rights need to be respected, how teachers' uh, religious and, and conscience should be respected with regard to using pronouns or not. This was somehow uh, discovered, uh, reported to the school district's administration in Grants Pass, Oregon. These two teachers were fired. Uh, as you know, and then we we stepped in, we filed a lawsuit on their behalf. We got their jobs back. We're still continuing with the litigation as we speak uh, to make sure that this doesn't happen again. But this attitude, this idea that the government can somehow censor people's speech who work for the government in particular, even if their speech is outside the government, to say that they, in order to keep their jobs, they can only say things that are positive to the government, affirming the the, the radical left's position in the government uh, or they lose their job. I mean, it's almost like we're talking about communist China here. Well, we, we saw something similar last year in California, AB uh, 655, which PJI and others successfully opposed through our, our 501c4, our Center for Public Policy, that was looking to preemptively ban police officers, would-be police officers, from joining the force if they were part of, you know, disfavored groups, which, again, they, they you know, they, they use language like, you know, we're talking about equality, we're talking about, you know, opposing hate groups, but they were in, uh, including, you know, conservative Christian values. So if your church did not support, you know, the transgender movement, if your church didn't openly, you know, espouse and promote same-sex marriage, you could be considered a member of a hate group and you could be prevented from joining the force. Or you could be targeted for an investigation, terminated, and fired from the force. Now, that's something that PJI, through our, you know, our, three, through our 501c4 and, and other groups, managed to successfully defeat. But that, that, that is what we're talking about here, preemptively keeping out Christians from entire fields and entire occupations. You know, we're seeing it in the medical profession. We're seeing it you know, in, in the police and the security profession. We're even seeing worries about that now in the legal profession. So it really is... A, a literal ideological religious purge from certain fields. And it is very concerning and something we are actively, actively fighting against. Yeah, I know our offices across the country are strategically located uh, in, in many states where, uh, you know, they, they could easily try to adopt this kind of oppressive uh, legislation that uh, persecutes and silences people because of their uh, religious beliefs or where they go to church. Uh, this is something we have a ground game to fight. And I'm very grateful for people like you who are part of that ground game. Uh, and we were successful in fighting this in California. But I know there's other states, particularly blue states out there, that will be attempting similar oppressive uh, legislation. And this, once again, is in addition to the tyranny that we're, we're seeing with regard to this 
this new board, this new disinformation board uh, that the Biden administration has created, which uh, could be a, an, utter, an utter nightmare uh, moving forward. Um, as far as free speech goes, I understand if I'm not mistaken, the Supreme Court of the United States just ruled six to three in favor of the First Amendment. Uh, this was involving uh, Senator Cruz from Texas. What what happened? Right. So we, we got a ruling yesterday, May 16, from the Supreme Court, like you say, 6-3. Uh, not a shocker who those six were and who those three were, uh, but, <laughs> but it was... <laughs> I won't I won't leave you guessing. Uh, the six conservative justices, um, actually all conservative this time, including Chief Justice Roberts, who wrote the majority opinion, not always not not always guaranteed, um, did come out and they ruled for Senator Ted Cruz. In this case, the Federal Election Commission or FEC versus uh, Ted Cruz for Senate. So it was actually involving his 2018 Senate reelection campaign in Texas. And it, it really quickly what what this what this challenge that he brought, that Ted Cruz brought, was to challenge this 2002 bipartisan bill, election reform bill, that said, among other things, that you could not, as a candidate, give a personal loan of more than $250,000 to your campaign and have that campaign raise funds after the election to pay you back. So, so you could not give more than $250,000 as a personal loan to your campaign and then raise money after the election to repay yourself if it was more than that 250. And so Ted Cruz loaned his campaign $260,000. And no, Ted Cruz is not bad at math. He did this very intentionally. Um, and, and so he brought this lawsuit to challenge this restriction on free speech because, you know, the argument goes, if you know you can't, you know, loan yourself more than 250, you're not, or get repaid more than that 250, you're not going to loan it. You're not going to engage in this activity and it's going to suppress political speech and the Supreme Court agreed. Yeah. Um, six to three, pretty solid decision. Um, what was their, their rationale of, of regarding this saying that, uh, you know, that, uh, that Ted Cruz uh, could in fact loan himself more than $250,000 and be able to have that re be repaid by the campaign even after the election. Well, you know, why is that important? And what did this, what was the rationale of the Supreme Court regarding this? I think the headline is probably Chief Justice Roberts' uh, opinion that the provisions, this $250, $250,000 cap, uh, it, it, it burdens core political speech without proper justification. And that's really the key here is proper justification. Ostensibly, what the government was claiming is that they were looking to prevent quid pro quos or the appearance of quid pro quos. You know, I give you a personal loan to this campaign. And I expect as, um, you know, as repayment, I'm going to curry political favor in the future. And so the government said, well, we're just trying to prevent even the appearance of that. Now, why $250,000 doesn't make that appear to be problem problematic, but $260 does. They did not explain. The Supreme Court was not buying it. But the, the immediate impact will be that a lot of campaigns, especially now the primaries are weeding out certain candidates. And right now in the fall, we have a lot of challengers, a lot of conservative and Republican challengers looking to flip the balance in the House and in Congress. So this is good news, I think, for those who are looking to challenge incumbents. And as you point out, Brad, who might need to loan their campaign some money. So it will have an immediate impact. I think you can look more broadly at this ruling and say it's interesting that we're shifting back to that, you know, 6-3 split when you're looking at the politics and dynamics. 
um, between the, the the nine on the Supreme Court. And of course, everyone's thinking about the Dobbs case and Roe v. Wade and whether or not Chief Justice Roberts will ultimately side with what is expected to be the majority of his uh, other five conservative colleagues. And so, you know, we're, people are looking to read the tea leaves there as well. Of course, there there is a core principle that the free speech, political speech, um, you know, religious speech will be protected and that good intentions do not justify constitutional violations. I, I It's hard for me not to say duh, but it is good to see that come down from the Supreme Court in writing, even in, you know, times that seem fraught and, um, you know, we're seeing protests, we're seeing violent pro- protests, we're seeing, you know, pro-life centers being bombed, church services being disrupted. So, you know, there are concerns, obviously. So it's good to see the Supreme Court holding its ground and standing by our core constitutional principles. And, you know, for PJI, there are strategic implications because you have individuals who look at a law and say, you know, this is obviously not constitutional. Now I could just you know, take extra steps one, two, and three and work around it. Or maybe I can just bring a challenge. I agree. Uh, It's going to help empower uh, greater free speech, uh, greater integrity with regards to the ability for people to to run for office, and uh, and hopefully more confidence, as you said, for people to to be able to challenge things head on that are unconstitutional. And of course, uh, that's what we at Pacific Justice Institute are here to do. Pacific Justice Institute invites you to join in the fight to protect our religious liberties. Consider volunteering in one of our California offices or become an affiliate attorney. Visit our website to find out more, pji.org. And while you're there, subscribe to our Legal Insider to keep updated on all of our current cases. Pacific Justice Institute. Together, we can make a difference. So folks, just remember... It's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms. Thank you for listening in today. To find out more about the Pacific Justice Institute or the Dacus Report, call 916-857-6900 or log on to pacificjustice.org.